Welcome, everybody. Hey, my name is Steve Husky, and it's a privilege to have all of you in the house. I'm the lead pastor, man, and we hope, if this is home base for you, man, we hope today's a great day. But if you're a guest, this is your first time here, we want to say welcome, man, hope today for all of us, man, that it is an incredible time. I want to welcome our Faith Church family up in Lawrenceburg, man. Will you show them some love? Lawrenceburg, it's good to have you with us and everybody else online. So this is one of our favorite times of the year. This is when we do a series we started about seven years ago entitled God at the Box Office. And so the goal is for us just to have fun because I believe God, you can have fun with God and you can have fun in church. And so we encourage you today to laugh and have a good time. You can shout, you can say amen. But at the end of the day, our heart is that you'll experience true life change, that God is real and his love for you is real. And no matter where you're at, what you've been through, or what you've done, God will meet you where you are and take you to the destiny, plan, and purpose that he has for your life, if you'll give him a chance. So, man, we hope for all of you, man, that that will be your encounter through this series. The goal of this is, again, man, we're doing just some fun elements to make it fun. If giving somebody a box of milk duds will help you encounter Jesus, call me Willy Wonka, for real. <laughs> like, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. Uh, but through this series, we're doing a lot of fun things, and um, ultimately, we're kind of taking a cue from the playbook of Jesus. One of the ways that Jesus taught that we find recorded in the Gospels, which is the first four books of the New Testament that record his life and his ministry, is one of the primary tools that Jesus used to teach what he taught was something called parables, where he would take things that were very familiar and common in culture, and he would leverage the familiarity to teach kingdom principles. And so we're just taking some movies because everybody loves a good movie, right? We love good movies because good movies inspire us. They cause us to dream. Sometimes they shock us. They stun us. They... They want us to walk out and think we're rocky. But at the end of the day, a lot of movies have messages. And so we're going to take some of the movies that are current right now in culture. Uh, today we're going to look at Aladdin, at least the idea of Aladdin. Today we won't show any movie clips, but for some of these movies we will. Uh, we're going to look at Toy Story 4 next week. We're going to look at Lion King, and then we're going to end this series with Angry Birds. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if you came today and you didn't bring somebody, refuse next week to come alone. Invite somebody to an incredible environment that we can use this environment to introduce them to an incredible God. Amen? Yeah. So let's, uh, let's buckle up and let's have a good time today, but let's, let's open up our hearts and, man, let God speak to us. Today I want to talk about this idea of knockoffs. Knockoffs. When I say the word knockoff, it probably brings a lot of thoughts in this room. When I say knockoffs, I think of reproductions, replicas, fakes, maybe even generic Right when I think of knockoffs, there's knockoff cereal. If you grew up your whole life eating cereal from a box, you're spoiled. Come on, we got any people who had to grow up eating it out of a bag. Come on, somebody. You didn't eat Fruit Loops, you ate Fruit Rings. Come on. They're almost as good. A little crunchier, almost as good. Then there's things like, it's not just generic, but there's these replicas, these reproductions. Uh, for example, like a Louis Vuitton bag. And maybe you hear the term knockoff and you're repulsed because, honestly, if you carry knockoffs, if you buy knockoffs, it's illegal. There's a lot of, for real, a lot of child labor that's producing those knockoff bags. And so maybe you didn't know that. Maybe it's just a, maybe just for you, it's just a, you know, it's just, it's part of your swag. It's, it's part of your drip. You know, you're just not going to wear any knockoff Ray-Bans or knockoff Yeezys. You're too good for that. But did you know, like, for some, that knockoffs actually are dangerous? That a lot of knockoffs have chemicals in them that can harm you, that can hurt you? That medicine that you buy on the Internet that is from, like, this secondhand place overseas somewhere that will show up at your house in an in a unmarked box? We know. <laughs> like, it might have the same name. It might tell you it's the same ingredients, but knockoffs can hurt you. Medicines off the Internet can poison you. Products that are knockoffs can harm you. 
electronic items. It might look the same. It might for a while work the same, but it could cause an electrical fire in your house. So knockoffs, a lot of people buy them. A lot of people use them. A lot of people have them, but they are sometimes immoral. They are sometimes just not as good. And oftentimes they are dangerous. And so with that in mind, I just want to talk about a knockoff God. Because I think we live in a society, in a culture, and this is not really something new. It's something that's been happening since the beginning of time, that people who have been worshiping and loving God hasn't really been worshiping and loving God, but been worshiping and loving a knockoff God. So I talk about a knockoff God. Let me tell you what I mean. I mean this, that, that the God people are following, the God people are worshiping, the God people sometimes are serving is not the God that's revealed in Scripture. It's not the God that Jesus came to declare and make known, and it's not the God that Jesus came to connect us to. And the reason that's important, I, I just, just hang with me here on the front, and I promise I'll, we'll, we'll walk through this. Here's why this is important, is because if you're worshiping a God that isn't really a God, you're in trouble. Here's what A.W. Tozer said. He was a great theologian and author. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if, if you're worshiping a God that isn't really God, you're, there's a chance, and it's inevitable at some point, that if you have, if you have, if you have mis, mis, uh, misplaced faith, that you're going to be disappointed. If you believe in the God that's not really God, it's inevitable that at one point you're going to be disappointed. And some of you in this room, you've been disappointed by God. And it's caused you to question him. In fact, some of you in this room, or maybe some of you watching online, or some of you in Lawrenceburg, because of something you heard or something you've seen, it went contrary to what you believed about God. And because your faith was disappointed, you eventually just walked away and decided God doesn't even exist. And so, like, serving a knockoff God is a huge deal. Let me go a little further. If you're taking notes, every God called God is not God. There's been tens of thousands of gods and deities worshipped all over this planet for thousands of years that we don't worship anymore. At least I don't worship, right? There's Ra, the Egyptian sun god. I don't think anybody was lifting their hands to Ra this morning, were you? If you were, come see me. Everybody's like, no, we're past Ra, we're past Zeus, we're past Odin, we're past Mars. Like, we're past those gods. Atheists like Richard Dawkins would invite everybody here that's a Christ follower and a person of faith to go one God further. We've already quit believing in Odin and quit believing in Zeus. Just go one God further because we don't need him either. And so maybe you're here and maybe you're struggling in your faith because your faith is in the wrong God. And maybe you're here and you don't have faith at all because you've been disappointed because God let you down and didn't do what you thought he should or would do. And I just would encourage you today to take another look at the God that you're following or walked away from. God told this to the nation of Israel, his people, 3,500 years ago when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He was taking them to a place that he had for them, the promised land. And here's what he said to them that's still relevant to us today. He said this, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. Now, God isn't saying there are other real gods. It's not a pantheon. He's saying, but if we're not careful, we will begin to follow ideas and concepts about God that aren't true and aren't legit, and they will lead us astray, and inevitably, inevitably, misplaced faith will be disappointed and will sometimes cause you to walk away. And so you fast forward from what God said here 3,500 years ago, about 2,000 years ago, this guy by the name of Paul 
Paul was one of the premier apostles. He was one of the key figureheads that advanced the message of Jesus 2,000 years ago. He was alive during the time of Jesus. He had firsthand encounters and experiences with the message, the death, the message, death, resurrection of Christ. He had this radical encounter that changed him so profoundly, he determined he needed to go tell everybody he could get into contact with who Jesus was and what he did. And so the book of Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament, it takes us through these things called, at least we've termed them, missionary journeys, where this guy, Paul, moved from city to city to city, sometimes staying days, sometimes weeks, sometimes years, to establish the message that a church could be established, that lives could be changed. And while he's there, he travels to this place that we're going to look at called the city of Athens. It's, it's still a city. It's been a city for, dec- for generations. Like, it's a real place. It's really there. He was really there. And he moves into this city. And what he would do is he would go to a common marketplace or he would go to the local synagogue. And he would begin to preach. And what I want you to see is where we're about to read, he's standing at the most, most profound place he can stand. It's where all of the wise people and all of the high government people are situated, which tells me this. If you are faithful in small things, God will graduate you to great things. You need to take your influence. You need to take your money. You need to take everything God's given your time. Don't wait to have a platform to be important. Take who you are, what you have, where you are, and God will bless you with more. So Paul walks in, he, he just starts little conversations, and God graduates him to the best platform in the entire city, and he presents Christ. And I want you to hear what he says because he's really challenging them about knockoff gods. The city of Athens was proficient with gods. Everywhere they looked, there were temples and idols set up. Still today, if you visit the city of Athens, you'll see some of these landmarks. And so he says this, so Paul standing before the council He addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I noticed that you're very religious in every way. Well, how did he know that this society, this culture was very religious? Well, here's why. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. They were everywhere. In fact, the city of Athens was named after the goddess Athena. In this city, there was a 40-foot statue dedicated to the worship of Athena. Where Paul is actually speaking was entitled Mars Hill, dedicated to the Roman god of war. There were idols and temples everywhere. And men and women could go and they could worship gods or goddesses or whatever pantheon of God. And Paul's walking around, he's seeing all of these structures, all of these places, that all of these people are going to worship all of these different ideas and concepts of God. He says, hey, y'all are religious, but you can be religious and be wrong because you're worshiping a knockoff god. And so he says this. He says, as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it. So out of all of these temples and idols dedicated to all these gods and goddesses, there's one, and it actually had this inscription on it, to an unknown god. They wanted to make sure they didn't miss any. They, don't want, they wanted to make sure they didn't get, miss any god or goddesses that might get mad at them and do something. So they dedicated a shrine to the unknown god. And Paul said, I know who the unknown god is. You're worshiping all these other gods and goddesses. You got some knockoff gods. Let me tell you about the real God. He says this. He says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. Keep going. He is the one who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. He's not over there in that building. He's not represented in that statue because the hands of men can never accurately make something that made the hands of men. 
He's saying, listen, you don't have the capacity to define God and all that he is. God's revealed himself to us. We can know him in part, but he is bigger than any mind or imagination in this room. And so he's not in a building. He's not in a statue. He's not in a piece of wood. He's not in a piece of marble. God is bigger than all of those things. He says this. He says he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. He has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So what he does is he goes to introduce this culture to the one real God. He's saying, you're serving knockoff gods. Let me tell you about the real God. And so for the next 24 minutes, I want to challenge some of you in this room because of where you grew up, maybe because of what a preacher told you or a book you read or a church you were in. You grew up with a concept, an idea of God, and it is a knockoff God. And if you don't come to the sense of who the real God is, it is inevitable that misplaced faith will be disappointed. And sometimes if it gets disappointed enough, you'll walk away and begin to think that maybe God doesn't even exist. Let's talk about one represented in the movie Aladdin is the genie God. The genie God. You guys know the genie God. Now, you would never call him this. I'm, this is just my name for him. The genie God is the God that a lot of people worship in America. And the genie God is this, that, that he's, he's there to make sure we have what we need. Like, that's what God's there for. That we believe a good God will give good things if we ask him for them. Right? I mean, now listen, a lot of us in the room, I prayed the prayer, Lord, if you're real, give me a million dollars. I prayed that one early. Still waiting on my million. Come on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like we, we learn and we hear that God is good and that if you pray good prayers, like God is going to give you what you need. I'm not talking about million-dollar prayers. I'm talking about real stuff, God. Lord, I'm in my 30s, and man, I'm tired of the dating scene. I'm tired of the Tinder scene, and all my friends are married off, and I don't want to spend life alone. God, bring me a man that will love me and a, God, a, God who, a guy who will love you. And then some of you are still waiting, and because God hasn't answered your prayer, maybe you're here and you're wondering, is God really good or is God really there? God, I got to pass this test. God, I need a job. Like, you're not asking God for outrageous things. You're asking God for practical, real stuff. And some of you are still waiting, and the longer you wait, sometimes you're like wondering, is God really good? Because if God was good, why don't he give me a guy? Why don't he give me a job? Why doesn't he give me these things I'm asking for? And here's the challenge is, I want you to know something, man, that, 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 that the God of Scripture, he calls us to prayer. I believe he honors prayer. I personally have experienced time and time again that God has faithfully answered my prayer. But at the same time, I want you to know something, that prayer is more than asking God for what you need. Prayer is not a magic lamp that you rub, and God is not a genie who pops out just to give us what we want. Prayer, come on, prayer is about relationship. It's about connecting with him. It's about building trust. And if you're here and you prayed some prayers that were genuine prayers and God didn't come through and now you're disillusioned in your faith or you've given up on God altogether and, and you just don't even believe he's there, I just want to call you to reconsider maybe the God you were following was a knockoff God. Do you know one of the greatest proofs that modern-day atheists use against theists, Christians especially, is unanswered prayer? Your God doesn't exist because you pray and he doesn't answer. If, if God not giving us what we ask for is evidence that he's either not good or not there at all, if we applied that same thing to parenting, we'd be in trouble. Come on. How many people know that? Come on. Every kid thinks what they want their parent to get them is good, and parents are good, but they don't give them what every kid needs. Come on. Some kid doesn't need a toy. They need a beating. Help me, Jesus. Come on. 
Can I say, I didn't share this first service. Real quick, I had to tell this story. When I was, I don't remember, six, seven, I was young. There was this area, area guy. I'm not picking on any organization. Don't be mad at me. I'm telling you my story. He was a local scoutmaster, very well known, very well loved in the area. I'll never forget this day coming home. Several of my friends, he was taking this little neighborhood group of boys swimming. I remember coming home, Mom, can I go swimming? Steven, you don't have any trunks. I don't need any trunks. I can just wear cutoffs. Anybody remember cutoffs? Come on. Mom's like, you, and she, I just remember like she wouldn't let me go. I was so mad. If you've never stood at the top of your steps and yelled, you hate your parents, you didn't have good parents. I'm like, I hate you. I remember being so mad that my parents, my mom specifically, wouldn't let me go swimming with my friends with this man. Well, didn't, I didn't find out the next day, didn't find out the next month, didn't find out the next year. But eventually it came out that this man had been molesting all of these boys. My mom, in her wisdom of, the, of a parent, didn't give me what I wanted. She gave me what I needed. The God we serve is a good God who honors prayer, who calls us to pray, and he answers prayer. But I trust him to have the wisdom not to always give me what I ask for. Come on, somebody. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge with the genie God and all of these gods is when God doesn't behave the way you believe, many people stop believing. Well, maybe the issue isn't the way God's behaving. Maybe the issue is the way we're believing that a lot of us are believing in a knockoff God. A lot of you here, maybe in Lawrenceburg or watching online, if you were raised with a very charismatic faith, which I was raised that way once I came to faith at 17, and I'm very charismatic, believe in the gift, believe in miracles, believe in answer prayer. But I'm just telling you, listen to me, sometimes God doesn't always answer my prayer, and he certainly doesn't always answer them the way I think he should. But it doesn't mean he's not there, and it doesn't mean that he's not good. Some of you grew up on the other side. You didn't grow up, and you're not here. You're not following the genie God. Some of you are following the guardian God. Do you know the guardian God? The guardian God, the genie God is the God who's supposed to give you what you want. The guardian God is supposed to keep you from anything bad, right? And we believe this. We believe that God is all-powerful, and we believe that God is all-loving. And if God is all-powerful and he's all-loving, he's never going to let something bad happen to me. The problem is what happens when the good God who's all-powerful that you follow, what happens when something bad happens? It's the, it's the question of the ages. Not just when something bad happens, but what about this God that lets bad things happen to good people? And when bad things start happening to good people, it causes people who are following the guardian God to either say, are you really good or are you really there? And some of you have gone through horrific things. Some of you didn't have a parent that had the wisdom of my mom, and maybe you're here and you got molested or you lost a baby, or you lost a job, or you went through divorce, and you've given up on God because after all, if God was really there, God should have protected you. I'm just going to tell you, listen, I believe that God honors and protects his kids. I do. I'm telling you. I pray what David prays in Psalm 91. When sickness goes around, like, you know, every couple, every couple months, everybody starts getting sick. I walk, my staff knows as I walk around declaring Psalm 91. A thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 by right hand, but it shall not come near me. I'm praying what David prayed. David said, people are falling around me like flies and they ain't going to come on me because I have God as my guardian. But sometimes I still get sick. It doesn't mean God is not good or God is not there. The same way that God has the wisdom to not always give me what I want, God also has the wisdom to sometimes allow things in my life that I don't see in the moment are needed. When you, when you read scripture, there's three books I would encourage you to read. Three books in the Old Testament. It's called, they're called the wisdom literature, the wisdom books. It's the book of Proverbs. It's the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. And they go together. And if you read just one, you'll miss the point. 
Here's the point of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs is a book of principles and promises. You read them, it's a book of wisdom. God is saying, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, you can expect this outcome. If you do this with your money, you can expect this financially. If you do this, if you do this in your marriage, you can expect this relationally. And those promises are all true. And there's wisdom that we can follow and we can believe for certain outcomes. But then you get to the book of Ecclesiastes and it's almost the total opposite. It's a man who's lived a life. But he's found out that life isn't always neat and it doesn't always fit in a box. And sometimes it's messy. And so while Proverbs is true, he also says, man, life is, there's a time to mourn. It's a time to cry. And then you get to Job and Job marries the two books together. Here's a man who's lived, who's lived Proverbs his whole life, but he experiences Ecclesiastes. The book starts off describing this man as righteous and godly. No one was as good as this man on the face of the planet, and his life is hell on earth. He loses his marriage, his family, his wealth, and he himself gets sick. And in the middle of living the life of promises, he experiences chaos. And he doesn't say, God, maybe you're not good or maybe you're not there. Here's what Job said, Job 121. The Lord gave me what I have, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. You know what he was saying? God... I believe you're good, and you're good even when life isn't good. And maybe you were raised to believe in the guardian God, and that's who you're following. I'm telling you, you are one chaotic moment away from probably walking away from God. And I just want to invite you to follow the God that really is, not the knockoff God that a lot of us are following. See, if it's just about good things happening, if it's just like, hey, good things shouldn't happen to bad people, this whole movement started not by something bad happening to someone good, but something horrific happening to the best person that ever lived. Did you know the foundation of our Christian faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection was necessary because he was crucified in the most horrendous way possible on the cross of Calvary, but he did it in our place so we could be reconnected to our creator. This thing was founded on something horrible. And then Jesus comes along before that, and he says, listen, if you're one of my followers, don't be disillusioned that this is all neat and clean and wonderful. He said this. He said, I'm telling you, tribulation's coming your way. In fact, if you follow the New Testament church at the hands of Claudius, at the hands of Domitian, at the hands of Nero, some of those horrific things that have ever happened on the face of the planet happened to God's people at the hands of Roman emperors. That doesn't stop God from being God, and it certainly doesn't mean he's not good, and it certainly doesn't mean he's in control. It just means that God is, he's just wise, and man, he's got things figured out in a way that I could never begin to understand, and I trust his wisdom. So if, you were, if you're following the guardian God or you're following the genie God, I just want to invite you, man, you're following a knockoff God. And maybe you stop following altogether because God's not behaving the way you're believing. And the challenge for us is to change what we believe. Some of us, this is my favorite God, and I'm all in right here on the feel-good God. You know the feel-good God? The feel-good God, and it happened to some of you, is you believe God is real, but everybody's telling you you should feel him. And you come to churches like ours, and people are raising their hands, and people are really singing, and you're like, I don't feel anything. Have you ever talked to somebody, and they tell you, and they're talking about God like he's right there with them? And you can't experience that. You, maybe you've never experienced it. Or maybe you experienced God's presence for a while, but you don't experience it anymore. And you begin to question, maybe he's not there. When you don't feel his presence, we assume that he's not present. Or maybe not real at all. Is, God, is, God, is that what we've defined God as, a goosebump? I'm just telling you, listen. I have often and do currently 
profoundly experience the presence of God in worship. But there's times that I don't feel him. Do you know David who wrote many of the Psalms? He wrote them in desperation. God, where are you at? Why have you forsaken me? Some of the greatest Christ followers that have ever lived in the last 2,000 years talked about experiences, encounters where they didn't sense God's presence. People like Mother Teresa who for years said, I didn't sense his presence. People like C.S. Lewis who talked about times that he didn't feel God's presence. But just because you don't sense his presence doesn't mean he's not present. I think we should want his presence. I think we should seek his presence. But at the end of the day, Jesus promised that if you love him and you put your faith in Christ, that the spirit of God will be with you and be in you. Come on, which means he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Come on. But it's more than a feeling. It's about a function. The goal of his presence isn't to give you a goosebump. The goal of his presence is to give you strength to overcome, to give you ability to follow, to give you comfort in your weariness, to give you strength when you're overwhelmed. Listen, God has a greater idea of his presence in our life than sometimes we reduce it to. Just because you don't feel him doesn't mean he isn't there. His promise to never leave you is greater than your feeling that he may not be there. Come on, anybody here worshiping a knockoff God? Here's one. I'm com- we're, we're coming right down here to, to, to the southeast of this great country. Can I just get up in your chili for a minute? Can I talk about the cosmic cop God? You know the cosmic cop? He's the guy that sits at the center of the universe with a bad attitude. That is just waiting for you to miss, mess up and he hates you. He's waiting to zap you. This is how you know you're following the cosmic cop God. Is you question whether you can pray because you're not sure you lived right enough this week for God to hear you. Or you're not sure you can come to church because God's mad at you. If you sit here today and you think God doesn't love you, you are worshiping the cosmic cop God. God is not a God who's at the center of the universe as a cop waiting to catch you to do something wrong or catch you doing something you like. God is a great Savior who's waiting for you to catch how much he loves you. That's who God is. See, there's a difference. I'm telling you, there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, it's, it's that feeling when we do wrong, no doubt about it. There's none of us perfect in this room. But condemnation, you know what condemnation does? This is how you know you're worshiping this God, is condemnation makes you run from God. The very first record of sin in the history of humanity happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And under the weight of condemnation and shame, they ran and they hid themselves from God. See, condemnation makes you think that God hates you and is mad at you and just wants to get even with you, and it makes you run from him. That's why some of you, man, when you, when you turned 18 and your parents didn't make you come to church anymore, you ran from church. Is because you're following this God. Conviction is something wholly different. It is still a feeling of knowing we fell short, we missed the mark. While condemnation makes us run from God, conviction makes us run to God because we recognize he loves us in spite of our mistakes. He's the only one we can go to to find forgiveness, and he's the only one we can find strength and to not keep following in the same ditch. Come on, somebody. We need conviction. But if you're walking in condemnation and shame, you might just be following the knockoff God. And the last one, and I got to talk about this for just a few minutes. I could preach messages on this. I could preach a whole series on this. And I don't want to pretend to be a scientist at all. But in our current culture, there's a lot of people about the no science God. The no science God basically currently teaches this, especially in the environment and atmosphere of atheism that is rampant in our culture. And some of you are currently wrestling through this. And here it is. It's either you can believe in science or you can believe in God. 
but you can't believe in both. If you believe in science, there's no way you're telling me there's, a, there's an unseen God out there somewhere. You can't believe in God and science. Let me tell you, there is no antipathy between God and science. While culture will tell you that they are diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive, they go together like hand and glove. Let me give you just two names. They probably won't mean anything to anybody, but let me explain them. Here's two names I want you to think about, Charles Towns and Steven Weinberg. Those two names, those two names, they have one thing radically in common, and they have one thing that they're in radical opposition to. Let me give you the, the second one first. The radical opposition, Charles Towns is a ferocious believer in Christ. Not just a theist, doesn't just believe in God. He believes that Christ is the Savior. While Steven Weinberg is a radical atheist, does not believe God exists. Let me tell you what they have in common. They both are recent winners of the Nobel Prize in physics, which means you can be a genius scientist and still believe in God. It's not, it's not a God issue. It's a worldview issue. I mean, you can, you can follow it down. Stephen Hawking's one of the greatest minds that's, that's lived recently, was a radical atheist as well. Held uh, before he, as he, when he passed away, he held the Cambridge seat of mathematics. Do you know who held it second in line? Sir Isaac Newton. Some of the greatest, if you're here and you're like, you can't believe in science and believe in God, I'm telling you, someone's feeding you something that's not true. Some of the greatest scientists that have ever lived, that have founded many of the great branches of science that we still celebrate and follow today, were not just theists, they were Christians. People like Faraday, Boyle, Copernicus, Pasteur, on and on and on. I'm just telling you guys, listen to me. If you're believing that you can't believe in science and follow God, you're not believing in the true God. The God who, who made it all is the God who made science. C.S. Lewis said this. Watch. C.S. Lewis, he said, men became scientific because they expected law and nature. Science is about observation. Because they expected law and nature, and they expected law and nature because they believed in a lawgiver. What it's saying is this. What he's saying is that it wasn't this radical, un, unknowing world that was sporadic and you didn't know what you would find. It's not a bunch of chaos. Scientists became scientists because they expected law and order because there was a God who created it and sustains it with law and order. So some of the greatest minds who ever lived weren't atheists. And they weren't just theists. They were Christ followers. Real quick, I just, you go all the way back to the beginning. Genesis 1.1. You say, you're going to go there? Yeah. Because some of you have read books and went to websites and sat in college classes. And some college professor told you, you can't have both. You've got to pick faith or science. And if you pick faith over science, you're dumb. And if you pick science over faith, that's a great thing. But now you don't have a God. And all that's left is hopelessness and despair. And I'm telling you, you can have both. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and earth, material. God made it all at one point in one second in time. We call it the Big Bang. When you read Genesis 1, God is known for creating three things specifically. Number one, creation. Number two, life. Number three, specifically, human life. Here's why that's important. Because for millennia, people that all the way back to Aristotle taught that Creation, he didn't call it that, he called it just the universe, was in the static state. It's always been, it's eternal. Well, it wasn't until the 60s that scientists started finding out that 
wait a minute, this thing looks like it has a beginning. This thing looks like it's not always been. And if it has a beginning, or if it has a beginning, it must have a beginner. If there is an effect of creation, there must be a cause who caused it. And so now it's, it's widely believed. Why was hell for years, millennia, that, that creation, that the universe is eternal? Finally, scientists, they agree. No, it had a beginning. In the beginning. What about life? Again, I, I don't even want to begin to pretend to be a scientist. Do your own research. Many scientists will say, once we have life, man, we can get where we want to go. There's different models of how possibly life started, but overall, there's not a consensus, and they struggle to define, how did life happen? I can tell you how life happened. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's talk about natural selection, evolution. I have four minutes, so I'm not going deep. Natural selection happened already. Every one of you in this room, you are an example of natural selection. You have the nose you have, the hair you have, the size you have, the shape you have. Based on natural selection, natural selection is happening right here in this room if you're looking for a date. Come on. But scientists more and more and more and more are coming online with this thought. That natural selection does not have the ability to ex express or explain the complexity of life. So you say, what's your point? Scientists aren't backing away from God because of science. They're backing away from God because of worldview. You can be a scientist and believe in God. You can be a great scientist and believe in God. You certainly can be a Christ follower and believe in science. They're not mutually exclusive. And if you read a book or was on a website and you walked away from God because some professor gave you a statistic, I would just invite you to come back to the real God who made it all, who's the creator and the sustainer. A great guy. If you're looking for some research, I didn't give this first service, John Lennox. Guy is brilliant. Currently sits on the mathematics uh, chair of Cambridge. Genius. Great apologist. But he said this, not everyone who's a scientist, not every statement that a scientist makes is a statement of science. See, we think because someone really smart says something that it's true. Einstein said that scientists are poor philosophers, which means they're really smart, but what it means, sometimes they're poor at explaining. And some of you have walked away from God because someone gave you some science or because God didn't answer your prayer the way he thought or you went through something really horrible and you thought God should have protected you and if God didn't protect you, God's not there. Or because you don't feel him anymore. Maybe he's mad at you or maybe he wasn't there all along. Or God's upset at you, whatever it is. It's a knockoff God. And when you read the New Testament, here's what you find. I mean, it's the whole Bible, but God reveals himself in all of these different ways. In just the New Testament, just a couple of them, God reveals himself as just that, as God. A God that we are called to worship, who is bigger than us, who is greater than us, who is transcendent, who is outside of us. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But he's not just a God to worship. He is a father to be honored. He is a dad who loves you, who cares for you. He is there as a master to be served. He is there as a friend to be close to. He is there as a judge that has the final say on who we are and what we do. And he's not any one of those at any one time. He is all of those, all the time, continually. He is a father. He is a God. He is a friend. He is all, and it explains who he is. It may not always make sense, but I'm telling you today, listen, if you're following a God that some preacher gave you or some book gave you, find out Jesus came to reveal the Father. 
And if you've walked away from God, if you've been disillusioned by faith, if you walked away from any of these, you did a good thing. But I just want to invite you to follow the God who made you, the God who loves you, and the God who sent his son to save you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lawrence Burton, if you'll pray. If you're here and maybe you're struggling in your faith to believe in God, maybe your faith just isn't where it was, maybe you've gone through a hard time, you've been disappointed, you've been let down. If you're here and you say, Pastor Steve, I just need God to strengthen my faith. I, I, I need my faith to be greater than it is. I struggle sometimes to believe. Or if you're here and maybe you walked away altogether, if you're here and you just say, Pastor Steve, I need greater faith, I want you to lift a hand real high. Come on, all over this room, Lawrenceburg, come on, I need greater faith. I just need to trust God when life doesn't make sense, when it doesn't fit in a neat box. Come on, I just want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, you are the source of faith. And you've revealed yourself and you've made yourself known. And Lord, we have followed false gods. We've followed things that aren't you. And inevitably, we've been disappointed. I pray, God, give us a great revelation of who you are. And God, help us to trust you, to follow you, to know you are good, to know you are there, to know you are wise. And so, Lord, we surrender our lives to you. If you're here and you're not a God follower, you're not a Christ follower, today you can make that decision. All you got to say is, Jesus, I put my trust in you. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all disconnected from a God who's holy. But God doesn't want you disconnected. Man, I'm telling you, he is chasing you down because he loves you. And if you'll put your hope and your trust in who Christ is and what he did for you by dying in our place, taking our punishment, giving us his righteousness, his right standing, through that simple faith and a simple prayer, we're reconnected to our creator forever. And so if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ or man, you're falling away and today you want to recommit your heart right where you are, you can say, Jesus, save me put my hope and my trust in you. Help me to follow you with everything that's in me. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your revelation. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen. Amen. Hey, man, God bless you guys. Come on, can we honor the word? Come on, let's honor the Lord today. Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you next week for week two of God at the box office. Don't come alone. Bring somebody with you.